We're on the empty wooden porch of a quaint old seaside hotel. Business is slow. The air is gray and dank. The battered bamboo wind chimes seem to mutter in protest. A man in his mid-forties enters with a brandy and sits. He fidgets restlessly, something clearly on his mind. He gets out his cell phone, dials, then hangs up before it can ring. A lady about his age, attractive, enters and sits several tables away. She seems on edge, too, going through her pockets, looking for something that she's not finding. She then goes to the porch rail. What lake is that? Lake? You don't know either? <laughs> that lake is an ocean. Which one? Try the Pacific. <sighs> the Pacific Ocean. Oh, my God, I'm sounding stupid, aren't I? We all have our bad days. Oh, I'm having a Lulu. I'm having a brandy. Join me? I don't seem to have any money either. The idea is that I would actually pay for it. I don't have a cell. No ID, nothing. Waiter, two brandies, please. How can that be? I must have had it when I left this morning, but where did I leave from? You got me. But you picked a nice place to come to look for it. Ah, here we are. Just put it on room 24. Thanks. What is that smell? Iodine and the kelp. There are huge beds of it out there. Undersea forests, teeming with life and vigor, like good booze. Cheers. Cheers. I'm Andy. Hello. And you? It doesn't have to be a real one. That's just it. I don't have a real one. Not one I can remember right now. Hmm. What do you remember? Nothing. I don't know where I am or how I got here. I feel like I was just put here on this porch at this time. Like one of those survival schools where they plop you out in the middle of nowhere and you have to figure out how to get back on your own. Well, if it's any help, you're in Mendocino. You know where that is? No. About three hours north of San Francisco. Whatever. You're on the porch of the Seagull. An overpriced flea bag in the middle of town. Are you staying here, or are you a townie? I just told you. I don't know. I don't know. know. Sounds like a simple case of amnesia to me. Probably had some mental trauma, and you've blanked everything out. Tabula rasa. What's that? A blank slate. It's caused by anxiety. Are you a doctor? Ad man. Oh. <laughs> Don't sound so disappointed. Advertising is where anxiety got invented, especially when you're pitching a new account. Like this time, I went after this chain of coffee shops, hot and ready coffee shops. Have you ever heard of it? No. Anyway, to back up a minute, about a year ago, I get into a fender bender with a guy named Magruder, Jerry Magruder. He gets a bang knee. My car's totaled. I threaten to sue him. I mean, his insurance company settles about a week before this presentation for the coffee shop account. And I need this account. Then I hear they've appointed a new ad manager. Name's Magruder. Jerry Magruder. And he's got a limp. Well, you talk about anxiety. If you'd stroked me with a violin bow, <laughs> you could have played Charizard. So I'm nervous as a cat, driving everybody in the office nuts. So what happens? Come presentation day, I walk into their conference room, and I find Jerry Magruder is a woman. So? So all that torture I was putting myself through was unnecessary. You get my point? No. Well, the point is, don't worry about something until there's something to worry about. If you don't know who you are, isn't that time to start worrying? Got an idea. We prime the pump. 
Excuse me? You're obviously an intelligent person, thinking person. You must have opinions. I suppose. Well, all right then. I ask you questions and get opinions. Pretty soon, a personality begins to emerge. We follow the trail and bingo. Hmm, sounds too simple. All great solutions are simple. How do you feel about, oh, the glass ceiling? It's wood. <laughs> Not this porch. I mean on the job, promotion, advancement. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. How do you feel about uh, abortion? I would think it's quite likely very uncomfortable. I mean, philosophically, are you in favor of it? I don't know what to say, exactly. Well, you would if you were pregnant. Do you feel it would be your right to have or not have the child? Well, if I was pregnant, I suppose I'd be glad I had the option. Good. But I'd probably be glad my mother didn't. Let's try another tack. Yeah, what if I ask the questions? What good would that do? You can learn more about people by the questions they ask than you can by the questions they answer. Okay, shoot. Are you married? Why? I see the ring. Okay, yes. Her name? Beverly. Your first? Third. And the first two? Allison, then Janet. I need more than names. What are they like? <laughs> what do you need to know about? <laughs> I don't know yet, but it's helping. Tell me about Allison. She was the looker of the three. That's why I married her. Things went along for about six months, which was about five months more than they needed to. What was the problem? She had the intellect of a geranium and absolutely no social presence. Any children? I did with Janet. One boy, one girl, Teddy and Marion. And Faye? And Faye, daughter of my present wife, Beverly. Wait a minute. What? You have a stepdaughter, Faye. I just told you. But I said Faye first. No, I did. Oh, I thought I did. How could you? She's my stepdaughter. As I say, my son Teddy is reasonably bright. Not terribly ambitious. Of course he lives with his mother. And we're not that close. And Marion? She's still in school. Engaged to some flake who can't decide whether he wants to become a forest ranger or an orthodontist. And Judy? There's not much to say about Judy. Okay, hold it. What? I did it again. I said Judy. So did I. But I said it first, just like I said Faye first. What are you talking about? You have a sister too, Judy. She's 37, retarded, limited speech. How did you know that? That's what I'm asking you. How did you find out about her? Then it's true? You've been spying on me. I have not. Did Beverly hire you? No. What did she pay you? Stop it. I swear to you, I'm not in cahoots with anybody. I'm doing what we agreed to do and, and, and say whatever comes into my head. Well, I have no further interest in anything in your head. Because we're finding out more about you than me. Because you bore me. Because I frighten you. Have a nice evening. Little Harry starts to dance just before he wets his pants. <laughs> I haven't heard that since I was eight. Ten. And your name's not Andy. It's Harry. Right? Harry Pierce? You're 48 and you were born in Highland Park, Illinois. What the hell is going on here? I'm as mystified as you are. There are things in your head that nobody could know about. Things I've even forgotten about. Ice. Ice? On a creek. Hadley Creek. When you were five, you fell through the ice on Hadley Creek. Oh, shit. You were by yourself and you almost drowned. You still have nightmares about it. Looking up. Searching for that hole you fell through. Running out of breath. And you stood up and banged your head through the ice. As cold as that water was when you gulped in that air, it was even colder. Where are you getting this? But you crawled up on that bank and you ran all the way home. Ran and ran to your mother just to hold on. And all she saw was the muck and the mud you dragged in from the creek all over her carpet. And you tried to tell her what happened. She wouldn't listen. 
She just went into a rage and started hitting you. And hit me and hit me. When I tried to run away, she grabbed me. She was crying, Harry. And cursed at me and screamed. She was worried sick and mad at you. And, and she pulled off my clothes and started to spank me. She didn't know how to handle the situation, Harry. That was when you felt more lonely than when you were under the ice. Okay, we're done. No, we're just getting started. Not with me. Try your act on somebody else. But we still don't know who I am. You're a pain in the ass. And you're one mean son of a bitch. How could you do that to that guy? What guy? The accident. It was your fault, but you berated that wimpy little guy into thinking he caused it. No way. You ranted and raved and threatened him with a giant lawsuit so the insurance company would cave, and they did cave. Nice work, Harry. Who the hell are you to judge me? Who better? You've got a huge problem. You're afraid to trust people. I trust lots of people. Only if you can control them. That's why Allison split. What about Janet? Janet just set a different course for mine. She walked out and took the kids with her. She had no right to do that. You didn't stop her. What was the point? She wasn't prepared to make the sacrifice. Sacrifice to what? To the marriage. My business was doing very well, but only because I was putting in 60 to 70 hours a week. It's like that when you're building a client base. What was she supposed to do? How about lend me some support? Be an ornament? No, no, more than that. Be an ornament and serve drinks. You obviously don't get it. I get that she had a good head for numbers. She helped you do your corporate taxes. Fine. I could have given her a position in the company. Bookkeeper, something like that. But I foresaw the problem. What problem? I'm not the easiest guy to work for. Whenever I would need to criticize her, she'd take it personally. So you solved that by walling yourself off from her? No, no. Or you foresaw she was strong enough to stand up to you. Look, you're the one with a problem here, not me. And this is helping, believe me. Now let's get to Beverly. Let's not. So who loves you, Harry? Who do you love, Harry? Tabula Raza, Harry. I don't know what to do. Then what are you doing way the hell up here in Mendocino? I don't know. Come on. What happened just before you made the trip? Nothing. Going to the hospital is nothing? I went to see Wally, my partner. Massive coronary. Heart blew up like a landmine, the doctor said. God, he looked so terrible. I was surprised he could talk. I asked him if there was anything I could do to help. He said no, that I was the one who put him there. How'd that feel? I went back to the office and all I could do was sit there. I had calls to make, but I could not extend my arm to reach the phone. So I just got up and walked out. Hailed a cab to the airport, grabbed a flight to Frisco, rented a car, and headed north. When I got to Mendocino, I saw this quirky little dump. Took a room, bought a paper, came out here on the porch, ordered a brandy, and that's pretty much it. So what do you make of that? A very large crock of shit. You would. I know. Well, if you know so much, what do I do now? There's somebody you need to talk to. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about Bummy, Harry. Who? Your old neighborhood pal from 30 years ago, Bummy Blake. He lives up here, doesn't he? This is crazy. <laughs> so do something crazy. Give him a call. I can't. Give me your phone. Don't know the number. Is this him listed in your contacts? Arnold Blake? I'm ringing it. Here. Here, talk to your friend. Bummy? Did you go to Highland Park High? Oh, your father... You hung up? I thought it was him. It was his kid. So? I can't do this. You have to. Oh, you don't get it. We used to do everything together. Football, basketball, baseball, the whole nine yards. There was this one day, though. It was a Sunday. I was in my backyard, me and Joey Moreno, a kid I was trying to impress. And Bummy comes over, still wearing his Sunday school clothes. Then 
Joey, he was a couple years older and bigger than us, he takes Bummy over to the garbage pail and, and he says to me, hold him. And he reaches into the garbage pail and pulls out a rotten tomato. It was all furry and smelly and Bummy saw what was gonna happen and started yelling, no. Well, I didn't think Joey was gonna actually hit him. Just scare him a little, so I grabbed onto Bummy. I can't do this. Yes, you can. And then Joey hit him flush on the forehead. It ran all down his face and all over his suit, and it really stunk. And Bummy didn't say a thing. He just looked at me with that look. Then he turned away and went home. And we were never friends after that. And this has been festering ever since. I haven't thought about it in 30 years. Or you've been thinking about it for 30 years, and this is the first time you've faced up to it. Oh, shit. I'm dialing it again. Here. Here. Hello? I just called before. I think we got cut off. Is this Arnold Blake? Bummy? This is Harry Pierce from down the street. No, from 30 years ago down the street. Bummy, I honest to God didn't know Joey was going to hit you with that tomato. He said to hold you and I held you. I thought the whole thing was a joke. Then he let fly. And I... And I, honest to God, never thought he was going to do that. And I apologize. And I, I'm sorry, Bubby. Bye. <sighs> Screwed that up. I don't know. It's a start. There's hope? There's always hope. No, I mean, I should probably talk to Wally some more. And my wife. How about all three of them? And my kids. Well, don't expect miracles. This has been good. Too bad we never met before. I think that's been the problem. Wait, wait, are you leaving? Isn't that what you want? I didn't say that. We still don't know who you are. <laughs> don't we? Who then? Well, if you're Harry, I must be Harriet. That's a good one. Calls for another drink. He turns to pour her a drink. He turns back. Harriet? She's gone. Harriet! Harry was played by Sean T. Benjamin. Harriet by Beige Barquette. This copyrighted sound recording was written, produced, and directed by Theodore Dave. This is Herb Ellis speaking.